Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am just so delighted you're joining me in my kitchen today, and I cannot wait for you to meet our very, very special guest, Chef Robert Gilbert. He is the executive chef for special events and catering operations at Walt Disney World Resort. And, oh, get your pens and paper out. This is going to be so much fun. As we record this, of course, the holidays, Christmas, New Year's are just around the corner. And you can bring a little bit of that Disney magic back to your house uh, with some wonderful, wonderful tips and ideas ideas from the maestro in the kitchen, Chef Robert. Welcome to Kitchen Chat, Chef Robert. So glad you're here. Well, thank you, Margaret, and hello, everyone. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here with you today. Oh, well, this is so special, and, and, and thank you for taking the time, especially in the middle of your very busy season with the holidays at Disney. My goodness, I'm seeing so many different articles and pictures. I saw a seven-foot-tall, 400-pound cho- chocolate nutcracker in one of the Disney <laughs> resorts, and I've been hearing about this gingerbread house. Um, are you part of those festivities, Chef Robert? Yes, I am. I got to tell you that we've got a total of eight uh, gingerbread displays uh, scattered throughout the Walt Disney World Resort this year. And the biggest and the best has got to be from our flagship hotel, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. It's actually a full gingerbread house that's built inside the lobby, and it's celebrating its 15th year uh, with us this year. It's actually 16 feet tall, and Chef Eric Herbacek and the team has, has structured this, uh, this house now for, for 15 years, and it keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger and, and better. It's um, actually got uh, it's, uh, 1,050 pounds of honey, 700 pounds of chocolate, 600 pounds of powdered sugar, 800 pounds of flour, 140 pounds pints of egg whites, 200 pounds of apricot glaze and over 10,000 pieces of gingerbread are used to construct this thing. And it is absolutely amazing when you walk into the lobby at, at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. I am just speechless because I look at my pathetic attempts each year to construct my own little gingerbread house from the box you get at Walmart or wherever, and it always collapses. <laughs> it always collapses. <laughs> so how in the world, I'm just curious, and, and, and also what advice can you give for those of us at home wanting to do gingerbread houses and whatnot? How in the world is a 16-foot tall gingerbread house constructed? Do you do you bring it in pieces? Do you bake everything off-site and then bring it in with wheelbarrows or a crane? How is this constructed? Well, it actually took over 400 hours uh, to put this uh, structure together. And, and like I say, every year it gets a lot more and more um, intense. 
so to speak. And it also took over 160 hours on just decorating the house. Once the house was, was structured, uh, then you've got to go in and decorate it with, with the, the shingles and all the, uh, the icing and the candy that's, that's used to go into it. Um, you know, here, here at Magic, it's, it's, it's just having fun and, and throwing down and having a good time with your friends. And, you know, when we approach any project, let alone the gingerbread project, it's, it's all about making that extra magic for our guests. You know, when you think about Disney, it's not just a theme park or a resort or a movie. It's it's a feeling, and, and everything we do, we we try to put that extra feeling into it, so our guests can experience um, a time of their lives. And you put such great goodness taste into it as well. I mean, it's a magical <laughs> taste, and and what a lot of people, a lot of listeners not, might not realize is just the gamut from gourmet or to to go food that you have there on premise, and then with these special events as well with the signature dreams. I can't wait to talk about that as well. But I, back to the statistics, I, I read somewhere that. You oversee 35 chefs and 200 full-time culinary cast members who cater more than 35,000 events a year. (laughs) And that's a true statement. You know, here at the Walt Disney World Resort, we have over 700,000 square feet of bookable Space. And that could be for a corporate event, that could be for a birthday, that could be for a wedding, a bar mitzvah, just a family reunion or get together. And there's six major catering teams here here on property. Uh, there's one at the Disney's Boardwalk Resort Villas, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, Disney's Contemporary Resort, Disney's Yacht Beach Club uh, Resort, uh, Disney's Coronado Springs Resort, and then this other thing that lives inside of Epcot that we call Park Event Operations that facilitates all the events outside of the community other than those five resorts that I mentioned. And the team and the synergy and the collaboration that we have amongst those six teams is just astronomical, the work that we get done. Uh, and 30,000 events is, is huge when, when you think about it. When you try to get your hands wrapped around that, you've got to have a great team for it to be successful and you have a lot of trust. And, you know, we're, we're like a family down here. Uh-huh. We have a ball doing what we do. That is great. And I also read somewhere that at one of these events, you can have as many as like 8,000 guests just at one event. So I cannot imagine the culinary challenges. I panic over uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas of how I'm going to (laughs) prepare anywhere for six people or 20 people if the cousins come over. (laughs) How in the world can you prepare a menu for 8,000 people. That is a huge choreography. So i got to tell you, a few weeks ago, we had one of our busiest weeks that, that we've had in, in a while. And in the same week, we had the Walt Disney Company management meeting here, which was 300 of our top executives that were here Monday through Thursday. In the same week, we had the first lady here that came at Disney's Boardwalk Resort. And then the same night, we had our uh, Walt Disney World Resort service celebration, and that's for our special cast members that are celebrating a milestone with us. And that event was for 8,000 guests. And literally all six of the chef teams came together as one unit to to pull all this off. And that doesn't even include 
all the other retail business that that we had going on in the resort at the same time and it's it's a lot about timing and it's a lot about planning and it's it's a lot about trust and, and coming together as as one unit to pull these flawless events off to make sure that that we continue to be the best at what we do Yes, and I love your quote saying, in catering, it's like driving an SUV through a jungle. <laughs> Planning is huge for us. <laughs> that, that is so true. You know, it's never the same same thing two days in a row in, in the special events and catering operations world. That, that That's for sure. <laughs> so for, for those listeners at home, I mean, what tips can you share with us from this huge grand scale perspective that would be helpful for, you know, those of us planning a much smaller scale, but, you know, important to us nonetheless at home, what would be uh, some great tips you could share? Well, I got to tell you that the holidays are all about family and spending as much time with the family as possible. And when it comes to preparing the meals, you you, you do want them to be great, right? You want them to look yeah. good, you want them to taste good, you want them to smell good, and that obviously takes time to accomplish that. But in the same token, you want to be with your family and friends as well. You don't want to be stuck in a hot kitchen the whole time. So the biggest thing that it comes down to is planning and pre-preparation. How much prep work can you get done so when the family arrives, you're just throwing stuff in to reheat it or or cook it. You're not actually chopping the vegetables like you could do the day before, uh, making any sauces or gravies the day before. Anything that you can get done where it won't affect the quality of the, the product or the integrity of the product, get as much done ahead of time as possible. And while you're thinking about that, too, make some fun appetizer or hors d'oeuvre type items so when you are away from your guests, they've got something to snack on. And that could also be a really fun uh, holiday cocktail, either uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Just make it as fun and as flavorful and interactive as you can uh, because there are times you're going to have to be in the kitchen, and while you're gone, you don't want that sense of a void while you aren't there. Um, as much as you can get done ahead of time, that's probably my biggest, biggest thing is, is plan it out and, and, and accomplish what you can. That, that, that is so wise. And on the appetizer side of things, what is a fun appetizer that you prepare at home? Well, i got to tell you, definitely this time of year, I, I think of uh, sweet potatoes or I think of butternut squash or, you know, I think of cranberries. Um, I love to do, you know, just get some really nice beef tenderloin or even a pork tenderloin uh, from your local butcher and, you know, grill it off and then chill it down and then like it, make like a bruschetta or, a, you know, like a crostini type get some baguette or something and toast it off and then uh, brush that with some aioli or something and then put the beef tenderloin over top of it. And then you can make like a great cranberry relish or something like that to go over top of it, put it on a platter, and you can serve it uh, cold or room temperature. It doesn't have to be hot. So that's one thing that you could put on your counter or, or on a coffee table or something and walk away for a few minutes and your guests will have something to nibble on while you're not around. And that's a great idea. And I have to um, share with the listeners and the, the post is actually on my kitchenchat.info blog right now. I call it blog from a bog. I was recently this year at the 
such fabulous, and we'll talk about this later, the International uh, Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. And it was so much fun to see the ocean spray people there actually in a cranberry bog <laughs> and uh, providing some, some great cooking tips along the way, too. So I love the fact with uh, incorporating cranberries, and it's very festive as part of your appetizers. Absolutely. Cranberry bog is a blast. If you've not seen it or experienced it, you all need to come down here and witness it for yourself. Uh, for sure. And it is just so much fun. That whole international food and wine festival. I mean, congratulations on such amazing events. And listeners, um, if you ever get the opportunity, I highly recommend it. It's typically, is it every October? Is that right, Chef Robert? It, it is. Um, it's actually a 46-day uh, festival, and this past year, it started on September 27th and ran through, through November 11th, uh, 2013, obviously. Uh, we were open Sunday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and then Friday and Saturday, we were open from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., and i got to tell you, through the festival this year, around uh, the uh, the promenade or, or um, world showcase, as we call it, with the 11 countries, we served almost two million small plates of, of food. Wow. Um, and it's a record-breaking year. Every year we continue uh, to go up. Um, our biggest seller was the number one Canada's beef tenderloin, which uh, draws inspiration from, from the hors d'oeuvre that I just spoke about. Yeah. And those, we served almost 90,000 of those through those 46 days. Amazing. I have to confess, so my favorite place was the dessert, the patisserie <laughs> in France. So I spent most of my time there. <laughs> you get a lot of that. Yes, it was great. But it's so much fun. You can literally eat your way across the world with these little sample plates and, and very authentic. And, and the experience is just wonderful, you know, just really sampling of cultures and, and sampling of, of of life, which, which seemed to be um, Walt Disney's uh, just a great outreach and vision that that he had in sharing cultures and bringing innovations and experiences together in one place. So it's really neat to to see how the legacy continues. Oh, absolutely. You know, we had 21 uh, stations around our marketplace this year, and we actually brought the Scotland in for the first year. And huh? speaking of authenticity, we actually brought in vegetarian haggis that was produced in Scotland uh, because we wanted it to be as authentic as possible, and obviously we're working with the Scottish government to make sure that uh, we're a direct reflection of them as they are for us throughout the festival, and we want to make sure that we continue to put our best foot forward. So authenticity wow. Very, very important to us. Yes, and you said something I'm not familiar with. What is the Scottish dish then? Haggis? Haggis is traditionally a Christmas dish where it's uh, the stomach lining um, of of a carcass that is filled with it's usually a ground meat and onions and celery and vegetables, and it's traditionally served during the, the holiday season. Uh, this year, because it's so popular in Scotland, we wanted to make sure that it was recognized during uh, Epcot's Food and Wine Festival. Oh, that's it. And you also offer these incredible um, chef demos and wine tastings, which I I have to admit, it was so much fun. Chef um, Jose, I believe it was, uh, was or Javier, sorry, uh, was creating um, this empanada dish and actually demonstrated how to prepare cactus. 
and I'd never tried cactus before. Yeah, Javier does does a fantastic job. And the great thing about this festival is that we not only include uh, our renowned Disney chefs, but we also include uh, celebrity chefs as well. And some of my favorites this past year were, were Robert Irvine, Art Smith, uh, Kat Cora, Andrew Zimmerman was there, uh, oh. Eric Lanyard was was there as, uh, from the pastry chefs, and yeah. we absolutely had had a ball together while they were all down. And we would focus on you know one a week, and they would be included in in our festival demo centers, and they were also included in our Party of the Senses, uh, which is the Saturday night event where we come around and we just play with food all night long uh, and it, it, it taps out to about 1200 guests every Saturday night but the the entertainment the atmosphere and the food and beverage along with the service are just second to none our, our guests walk away with an experience that that they soon won't forget oh and I love your description of that we just go in the kitchen and play with food <laughs> I got the greatest job in the world. You know, growing up, I used to get in trouble for playing with my food, and uh, now I get paid to do it every day. So there you go. That is fun. And another thing, Chef Robert, I am just so intrigued by, and that is the whole, um, I guess, focus on sustainability and innovation in terms of food growing techniques. And I recently read an article, it was from November of 2012, written by Joan Kober, who's a master gardener, and it was in um, Penn State uh, publication, where she talked about the different types of techniques uh, that are being used at Disney uh, for for produce being grown for the Epcot restaurants, and 80 different food crops were being grown in the air, sand, spirals, cool containers, and even above pipes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's inside of the land pavilion, which is one of our pavilions inside of Epcot, where we actually have the food and wine festival. And the land is a 24 hectare or 2.5 million square foot facility that's dedicated to just the human interaction with with the land. And what you're referring to is is our research facility or behind the scenes tour that we actually host uh, throughout the day. And um, it's a demonstration production area, and it's dedicated to the experiment horticulture techniques and hydroponics, uh, irrigation methods, along with integrated pest management. And this place is so amazing. They absolutely grow uh, cucumbers in the shape of Mickey Mouse on, on a regular basis. And wow. The great thing is, <laughs> Walt built us on a green philosophy. We like to say around here that we were cool by being green before it was cool to be green, you know? Yeah. And, um, the, it does not get any more local or sustainable than, than growing these products in our very own backyard. And, and all the products that are grown throughout this facility are used here on property in, in our restaurants. And, you know, every one of them inside of Epcot gets get something. Our uh, park event operations teams uses it. And then the WAVE, uh, the American uh, flavors at Disney's Contemporary Resort is is really big into sustainability and, and using the lay of the land use a lot of their products as well. And the and, quality is just mm-hmm. amazing. And and the production is amazing. I, I read somewhere that the largest single tomato plant ever grown at Epcot yielded 32,000 tomatoes and was entered into the Guinness Book of World Records as the tomato plant that yielded the most tomatoes in one year. <laughs> It's amazing on, on how big this place is, along with 
the big things that it continues to grow on a regular basis, that's for sure. Yes, with some interesting techniques with the hydroponic and um, spiral gardening. It, it, it's just fascinating. And, and, and kudos to Disney World um, and your efforts and really focusing on sustainability and, and especially, you know, really bringing to the forefront uh, a lot of techniques for, for, as we know, soil is, can become a rare resource around the world and just learning to grow food supply in a creative way, in an innovative way, in a sustainable way. You know, as, as a chef, one of the, one of the things that that keep us up at night is is our future, right? The sustainability and uh, who's coming after us, including not only professional chefs but but farmers and and who's going to work the land and and who's going to take over for these four or five generation family farms that that are throughout our country right now. And you know, kudos to to Disney. Yeah, I I am a cast member, but I'm also a huge fan of of what what our company and what our brand continues to do by by pushing the envelope on on everything from technology. You know, um, we've been recognized by the National Restaurant Association for technology in, in our food and beverage outlets, along with the horticulture and the sustainable standpoint uh, that we continue to business model our our uh, our facilities after. And it's just amazing at the things that we can accomplish when we all work together. You know, 65,000 of my closest friends work here on a regular basis. And if there's something I need built, you know, or borrowed, and we've even been known to tunnel under things, uh, we can get it done when we all work together as, as one team, that's for sure. And that is a great lesson to all of us with teamwork and creativity. And, Speaking of creativity and innovation as well, I heard someplace that you're looking at canning and pickling. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I'm sure you know ball uh, canning jars. Uh, yes. Mason jars. Mm-hmm. So they're celebrating their their one year 100 year anniversary uh, this this year. And, you know, we as a special events and catering operations team, um, we, we recognize that. Yeah. Uh, so what we did is we've actually built a whole program around celebrating canning and, and pickling. And, you know, we want to make sure that we represent that brand the best that we can, along with representing our brand at the same time. So, you know, right now team building is, is huge in in the uh, meetings um, arena, so to speak. You know, yeah. we have and association groups coming down here all the time uh, looking for that next team builder to bring that team synergy throughout their organization. So what we've done is we obviously have purchased a lot of these these jars. We've gone to the land and we said, hey, we're doing this program uh, with, with these guests. Uh, and then what we do is we break up the groups into teams and we teach them about canning and pickling, and they're the ones that are doing the work. We're just telling them how to do it. And then even for those special groups, we'll take them over to the land, and we'll let them know what we're looking for. And we obviously bring in produce from the outside, and we bring in local farmers. Uh, Zellwood um, corn, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, it's one of the sweetest corns in the bricks scale that there are, and we're very close to, to this family farm. And we bring in... Uh, these experts, these resident experts, to talk to the guests. And then after they have all the information, 
we let them loose. We let them go crazy and let them can and pickle, you know, whatever they want. And then we actually will take the cans, you know, have, you have to have a label for for your jar, and we have them design and create that and put the group's name on it and, you know, label what's in, actually inside the jar. And, you know, whoever comes up with the best uh, recipe or the best flavor profile, you know, obviously we do a first, second, third, and we have ribbons for them like they would be at the, you know, the Tri-County Fair type scenario <laughs> with 4-H. And uh, through this whole process, you know, they're getting jazz. They're working together, but at the same time they're learning. They're, they're having fun learning about uh, canning and pickling and produce and sustainability and what does it mean to be local and, you know, all those types of things. And then once the program is over, they have a souvenir to take home with them because we obviously give them the products that they have just pickled or, or canned. And, man, I, it's so much fun. It, it really is. You know, in, in the beginning, we knew we wanted to do something to recognize Ball and, and the things that they have done for our industry, you know, throughout, throughout yeah. the years. Uh, but we never realized that it was going to be this much fun and, and, and get caught on by so many groups that are actually looking for that difference to, to make to make that difference in their group. And that does sound like so much fun. And I have never tried to can or pickle anything in my life. I wouldn't know where to start. So can you give us a quick little 411 of, of how you do canning or pickling with these ball jars? <laughs> So, so canning and pickling are, are two different uh, scenarios, right? Canning is where you would take the jar and you would uh, fill it with, you know, whatever you want, uh, you know, cucumbers to make pickles, um, celery, green beans, and then you would build a vinegar solution, right? And the ratio is usually two to one, two, uh, two parts water to one part vinegar. And, and then you would submerge the product with the pickling spice and garlic and shallots, whatever flavor profile that you're looking for. And then you would, um, lots of salt is in there as well. You would use a kosher salt or a pickling salt, and you would let that sit. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then you would take it out and what we like to do is after that first brine basically is we like to, to rinse it off and then we build another uh, pickling solution and then we'll put it back in the jar and then, and then seal it up. Um, the other, now that's, that's pickling. That's a and, lot of fun. And what and, is it when you say pickling solution? I mean, what is in a pickling solution? So How? typically it, it's the ratio, the two parts water to one part vinegar, and then whatever you want to add to it. Pickling spice, you know, you got juniper berries, you got peppercorn, oh. uh, you know, salt, uh, pepper flakes, whatever whatever flavor profile you're looking for. Lots of salt is, is in there as, as well. For example, if you have two cups water to one cup of uh, vinegar, you usually have one cup of salt as well. Um, and what does a juniper berry taste like? I've never seen one. <laughs> well, a juniper berry, it's uh, its probably a cross between like a clove and a star anise type of experience. Hmm. Uh, somewhere in there, yeah. Um, and then garlic, I, for, I love garlic. Yeah. It's good to with everything I do. And I love, <laughs> love some type of onion uh, component as well, you know, and there's numerous onions out there. Um, shallots are a good one, even about, you know, the as white Spanish onion will work. Um, you know, pearl onions are great ones to put in because they're, you know, they're little and they look great in there with the garlic cloves, uh, that type of scenario. So yeah. that, that pretty much covers the, the pickling side. Yes. And, and then there's the, the canning principle, right? And mm-hmm. that's where you're actually submerging a product in, in hot water. Uh, and depends on the acidity of the food. So there's, there's high acid uh, 
products that you would can, and then there's low acid. So a high acid product would include things like tomatoes, uh, citrus, things that have already a high acid uh, component in them. And then there are things with low acid, in, like you can even can meat, you know, think mm. of the, those types of scenarios. And then depending on the, the acid level is... Uh, then you would, you know, put your products in, in the jars and you would seal them and then you would submerge them in, in water of either um, 240 degrees uh, for the low acid foods mm-hmm. and, or 212, which water boils at 212 degrees for, for the higher acid. And then you would leave them for a set amount of time and then you would pull them out and let them come to room temperature. And, and then they're basically canned. That, that's a basic canning principle. Um, it's pretty simple. It's been around for forever. Um, you know, because basically all you're doing with, with ha- the home canning principle is, you know, figuring out how to prevent food spoilage and, right. and is, is the key behind canning. Yes, and it really makes things more sustainable. I love that. Oh, just so many great innovations and everything going on, and you make it so much fun and celebrating uh, Mesa DeBall's uh, 100th year. That's that's so much fun. And in addition to all of that, you are in charge of what, oh my goodness, I, I can only imagine what it entails, Disney's Signature Dreams. Can you share with the listeners kind of what that is and and some of the most uh, amazing uh, experiences you've created for the Signature Dreams? So Disney's Signature Dreams are events that are totally customized around you, your family, or, or your group. And what will happen is our, our guest or our client will come and meet with us in blue sky with us. This is what we want to do. We want to build an ice skating rink in one of your ballrooms, and we want so-called you know, professional skater to come out in the middle of the uh, event and, and skate around the ballroom. And then at the same time, as soon as uh, they're done skating, I want Duff to come rolling in our, our cake. Uh, I, my wife's, you know, 50th birthday or, or whatever the case is. You know, when you think about uh, Disney, we are an entertainment company, and we're very, very good at entertaining yeah. people. And I go back to the resources that I spoke about earlier. And, you know, we, we entangle them or we tie them into every event that we do. But these Disney signature dreams are basically like a typical event on steroids. And <laughs> you know, we we, we pull in production managers and show directors and creative directors that come up with this crazy stuff, and they work with the chefs and, you know, our front-of-the-house managers on what is possible and what is not possible. Well, you know, one of the ones that really stand out to me is we did a wedding in front of Cinderella's Castle um, a few years back, and that was probably one of the coolest events that I've ever been a part of in, in my career. And it was just so touching to see this family, you know, uh, be a part of that, just it, it's what dreams are, right? Uh-huh. You think about, wow, where do I want my daughter to get married? Well, in front of Cinderella's castle, of course. And <laughs> to pull that off and to be a part of that event, that's, that's an experience that, that I will never forget, that's for sure. 
And then back to building, you know, the ice skating rink inside of uh, Disney's Contemporary Resort Ballroom. We just did that a few months ago, and uh, we literally transformed a, you know, 30,000-square-feet ballroom into a winter wonderland in in July. And it was, you know, we had snow piped in, and we literally had an ice skating rink in there, and and we did have Duff rolling in the the cake. And um, what a great guy, by the way. He's just a fantastic pastry chef. And and the food is it matches all of that you know we we've got guests walking around with flavored icicles and and those types of scenarios and you know it's just uh, amazing um you know we got to i guess this is kind of corny but what whatever but literally when it comes to our food and beverage the only thing that limits us is is our imaginations and, and yes. we play we play all day long Yes, and that can hold true for the listeners in the kitchen. What's holding anyone back, you know, the sky's the limit, only your imagination. So, yeah, I I think that is so encouraging. And, oh, I have to share with you, Chef Robert, and the listeners, it was so much fun when I was at Disney World in October. I also, of course, was at Epcot for the wonderful Food and Wine Festival, but I always have to go to the Magic Kingdom. There's always a kid in each of us. And there, lo and behold, I walked up to Cinderella's Castle and someone was proposing to a bride-to-be. It was so cute. (laughs) So... Definitely fun. Yeah, so this is quite a challenge. I I can only imagine logistically with the culinary perspective of these Disney signature dreams and uh, making these dreams come true. What, um, with the, the wedding at Cinderella's Castle, what stood out to you most of all about that experience from a culinary perspective? The it wasn't it all comes down to the planning phase you know mm. that, that we spoke about before it's it's loading in you can't load into the park when it's open you got to load in uh or you know before park hours are are actually open uh so you have to load in a little bit early you've got to make sure that you have enough power to keep the product um at a uh in refrigerated uh units uh obviously backstage somewhere hidden and then being able to, to cook it to order. Basically, uh, we like to cook on our special events, catering operations teams are, is, you know, when you think about catering, you think, oh, cooking food and putting it in a hot box, and when they get here, they get here. Well, that's not how we approach it. We approach it that we want to cook that food like they do in a restaurant. There's no reason why you can't have restaurant-quality food coming out of a catered event. And we want to cook that food as close to service as possible, just like they do in a restaurant. And it all comes down to logistics and planning and making sure that you have the facilities and the equipment, not only and the talent, to pull or execute a, an event like that off and make it seem seamless and, and not rushed or um, like it doesn't belong there. You want everything to feel like it's part of the show, and, and it does belong, and it makes sense and as fluid as possible. So it comes down to planning. Again, I, I always go back to make sure you're planning out and you're doing as much ahead of time as, as possible where it does not um, it does not harm the integrity of the product. Right. And, and so you can help make people's dreams come true there at Disney World, either individually for special occasions or for corporate, uh, from birthdays, weddings to corporate events. You have this great Disney signature dream team. We do, absolutely. You know, we can do events up from two to, to thousands, 
and and make each and every guest feel feel special. We uh-huh. say make magic one guest at a time, right? Uh-huh. And not just, just special events and catering. You know that that doesn't include our our other food and beverage um, locations. You know here at, here at the Walt Disney World Resort, you know that we've got over 480 food and beverage outlets here. That's just huge. That is huge, and it's just amazing not only to think that you're feeding the guests, but also the cast members. And from to-go food to gourmet food, such as we have to include this on our kitchen chat, uh, Monsieur Paul, uh, what an amazing legacy there. Chef Paul, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Bocuse, who is chef of the century, has world-famous Michelin-starred restaurants all over the world, especially in Lyon, France. And his son, Jerome, is that correct, is um, part of the Monsieur Paul there in Epcot. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, what an honor and and a privilege to, to have those folks here on property. And it is always uh, such a joy uh, when they're around and and we get to actually hang out with them. It's just so much fun. And it's, right. And it's so cute how they do the chef jacket napkin. How do they fold that napkin to make it look like a chef jacket? (laughs) I, to be honest with you, I really don't know, but I can find out for you. That (laughs) That would be fun. Because that is so cute. And, and just excellent, you know, food there for someone who really wants to experience the top of the line. And then um, even at the resorts as well, the resort hotels. And I, you were with the Floridian, the Grand Floridian, um, a few years back, right? I was. I, I worked at, uh, the, in my 21 career here, I have uh, I've worked at uh, Disney's Port Orleans Resort, uh, both sides. I've worked at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. I've worked at Disney's All Star Sports and All Star Music. Um, I was all over the Magic Kingdom. I worked at Disney's Yacht and Beach Club Resorts. I've worked at Disney's Contemporary Resorts, and now I'm uh, I've been the executive chef for Special Events Catering Operations for five years now. Wow. And you know when I mentioned the 480 food and beverage outlets before, yeah, um, over a hundred of those are, are full service restaurants. Uh, we've got close to 300 quick service restaurants and, and food carts, and we've got almost 90 nightclubs, lounges, and, and pool bars within our profile of uh, food and beverage locations. That is just amazing. <laughs> that truly is amazing. All of the cooking and cleaning, oh, with all the dishes, uh, and the choreography from a culinary perspective, that... Uh, yes, my Mickey Mouse chef hat ears off to you and all of the <laughs> the, the chefs there at Disney World. Um, and Chef Robert, if you could maybe back to kind of the signature dreams and how could someone, one of the Kitchen Chat listeners, kind of recreate, uh, you had talked about how you also do signature dreams, even if it's just for two people at a table. Is there some special something that you can share with us that that we can do here at home if it's just for two people, you know, um, or just a small family? What what can make that extra special, some of that Disney magic here at home? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that we try to do, when I think back to my childhood and I think about the holidays and Thanksgiving and those types of scenarios, um, I, I don't remember 
uh, the presence or the gifts. I remember walking into uh, my grandparents' homes and the smell of the food. And then I remember tasting the food. And, and those are things that, that have lived with me for years now. And when I talk to guests about our food and beverage opportunities with them, I go back to you want to hit as many senses as, as you can because years down the road, your guests aren't going to remember specific conversations or, once again, the gifts or, or what you were wearing. They're, they're going to remember the food and, and what the experience that you provided them. So the more senses that you can hit with them, the better off that you're going to be. And I'm not saying go get scent machines and put them in your house, but right. you know, lighten a candle or here or there will, definitely won't hurt. But, you know, when you walk into someplace and they're baking chocolate chip cookies, you remember that. And, and it just drives you to want to have a warm chocolate chip cookie and a big glass of milk. Um, so those are the experiences that I try to create for our guests. And, you know, I've even pulled little ovens into rooms while, while means are going on, and, you know, they'll break in 15 or 20 minutes. And I'll start baking chocolate chip cookies, and uh-huh. they know when it's time to break that, oh, my goodness, we're going to have fresh chocolate chip cookies <laughs> break, you know. So as, as, as many um, items that you can create those sensory experiences, I yeah. think the more successful and the more fun that you're going to have. You know, food, everyone everyone in the world has to eat. And everyone has to join around around the table. And, and the more experiential that you make it, the more fun that you make it, and the more relaxed that you make it, the the more fun that everyone's going to have and just, just relax and have a good time with it. That is great advice. So we can all bring a little bit of Disney magic to our homes this holiday season. Well, I have to get to some of these questions that listeners um, sent in, especially to um, nine-year-old Macy. She is so excited to ask uh, you, Chef, a couple of questions she has. She says, do you have names for your dishes? If so, how do you come up with those names? So um, I have a seven-year-old daughter named Madeline, and I have a four-year-old son named Mason. And um, we have one dessert that we do, and it's it's Madeline's peanut butter and jelly flambe uh, sundae. Uh-huh. Madeline is an aspiring chef. She's got her little chef coat and her little hat and a little apron at home. And the first thing she ever learned how to make was was peanut butter and, and jelly sandwiches, of course, without the crust. And But she loved ice cream. And then she loved grilled cheese sandwiches. And she asked me one day, she said, Daddy, how do we put all this together and, and make it, you know, fun and, and make it good? Um, so what we did was we started making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I'm assuming if you don't have one, but we have the lean, mean, fat-reducing grilling machine at home. Yeah. It's like, a, like a panini press type of experience. Or you can just use a griddle or, or a pan like you would a grilled cheese. And we, we griddled the sandwich. And then we would cut it into fours, and we made, you know, a tower out of it. And then on top of it, we made um, fresh homemade vanilla bean ice cream. Yeah. And then we put that on top of it, you know, and, and then we made a chocolate ganache sauce to, to go over top of that. And then she loves sprinkles, so we had sprinkles on there. And that's one of my favorite desserts to, to put on any menu because, obviously, it, it, it's that experience that I shared with my daughter. Aww. So that's yeah, so that that's one dessert. How we came up um, with the name? We've we've got a chef, um, Chef Leonard Thompson, is the chef de cuisine over at Park Event Operations, and he comes from an Italian background. And he makes this 
excellent uh, wedding soup. So we call mm-hmm. Leonardo's uh, Italian wedding soup, and that's on our menus, and that's that's in honor of, of Chef Leonard. And the little touch points on, on where we can um, incorporate the chefs and, and give them a credit for the great job that we do um, yes. without embarrassing them or bringing attention to them. You know, everyone knows it's, it's Chef Leonard, but we call it Leonardo's. Oh, <laughs> that is great. And Macy also asked, do you have a princess dish? Uh, we have thousands of princess dishes. You know, <laughs> there's um, when you were referring to me back in the resorts before I was in special events and, and catering operations, um, you know, I, I worked probably one of the funnest places I've ever worked was uh, the Crystal Palace inside of the Magic Kingdom. I was one of the chefs there for a while. And we, um, you know, we have Winnie the Pooh and Tigger and Eeyore as as our character buffet. And I would walk that dining room numerous times throughout throughout my shift. And and uh, any time that a child would come up to me and say, "Wow, this is the best macaroni and cheese I've ever had. This is better than my mom's," that would just make my day, right? Uh-huh. And as I was walking the dining room, I had an autograph book. And you know how the the children go and get the characters' autographs. Well, I would ask for the children's autograph. Aww. So every dish that we prepare, I felt like it was for our little princesses and our princes uh, that were dining with us that evening. Oh, that is so cute. Oh, and thank you, Macy, for asking these questions to Chef Robert. <laughs> that great, is... great, great questions, Macy. Those were awesome. <laughs> and then, Lynn, another listener, uh, asked what exactly, and I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, Chef Robert, what exactly is amakasi? Uh, it's, she saw this at the California Grill and Contemporary Resort. So amakasi is the sixth taste, right? It's uh, an Asian culture where um, it's uh, they going back to the experience that, that I was referring to earlier. Oh. And in uh, Asian cultures, that amakasi is that, that sixth taste that, that takes it uh, uh, above and beyond where amakasi is you're putting your faith in the chef's hands like they do it in a lot of sushi restaurants where you'll um you know belly up to the sushi bar so to speak and you'll say amakasi and what that means is is that i'm putting my six tastes in the chef's hands let the chef create whatever uh they feel is the best quality product that's in season um that they want to showcase themselves to me um and it's part of the chef's personality and you know let's let's take this experience to a whole nother level so what we've done is we've included the uh, amakasi experience into our events here at disney's contemporary resort contemporary you know each of our uh, convention hotels has a personality you know the disney's grand flirting resort is all about grand victorian uh, obviously disney's yacht and beach club is all about the new england feel but really, what is Disney's Contemporary Resort and what is contemporary? Um, so we've involved the amakasi concept mm-hmm. into our events here uh, just to take it to that, that next level to say, you know what, we, we, are, uh, we do follow the trends, but we also like to think that we set some of our trends, our own trends as well. 
And that is such a great word and terminology for life application, the amakasi. I, I love this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. I love that. Oh, this is wonderful. And and I guess my question to you is, what is next? Uh, you and Disney continue to do all these amazing things in and outside of the kitchen. I mean, what do you see as, as what's next? Well, you know, when when we talk about that all the time we're we're a very collaborative organization um you know within our our ranks there's there's 12 senior chefs that are part of the Walt Disney World Resort catering operations teams and we meet um regularly and and we talk about what's important to us and and, and where do we want to go as as one unit and not six units and, you know, obviously we, we focus on succession planning and, and talent management. Who are the chefs of, of tomorrow? And we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we develop them uh, and make sure that uh, they're set up for success. Uh, we, we talk about training. We're not only training our chefs, but also our front-of-the-house partners, our sales team, and our services partners because they're a direct reflection of us as we are of them. And if they don't know the product that we're serving and they're out selling it, that that's a huge opportunity for us. Right. Um, so you know, and and then obviously equipment. You know what what's here today is is gone tomorrow. You know when you think about you know food and beverage in general, it's not like a lot of other items in our lives that that are here today and gone tomorrow. Food's very trendy. You yeah. know, just it clothes and music and cars and and you've got to make sure that you stay in front of those those trends. So. The 12 of us get together on a regular basis, and, and we, we think about that strategically, and, and we make sure that we're, we try. You know, we're not perfect, um, but we don't keep making the same mistake, same mistake over and over, but we want to be in the right place at the right time. Um, so that's very important to us. Yeah, and do you envision, or is there already in place, like a Disney Culinary Institute? <laughs> well, you know, we Cal, Disneyland Resort... Um, has has an apprenticeship program that is very successful and and we had one here uh for a long time and now we do the it's called the culinary passport to excellence um here at the Walt Disney World Resort it's a little bit different than than Disneyland and we actually take our teams through everything from you know nice skills what is a broom walk cut cut what's a julienne cut keep your fingers back so you don't you know knife safety safety is our is our number one key basic all the way through soups and sauces and and what is a roux and you know how do you make a proper slurry and roasting meats you know what temperature do you roast the whole chicken to and you know that that training process is is an integral part of of our future success but it also comes on the hands-on day-to-day operation as well you know back to the close to 500 food and beverage outlets along with what we do in catering we're getting our folks the the school of hard knocks right we're educating them every single day and yeah there are a lot of tasks in a kitchen that are mundane or, or the same but you know what when when you do move on to the next task you're you're an expert at you know chopping or or slicing or whatever the case may be Oh, exactly. Well, this is just so exciting. Chef Robert, 
thank you for sharing um, the magic of Disney's Kitchen with the listeners of Kitchen Chat today. I think we've all learned so much. This is just great and some great tips and and just a greater appreciation of the sustainable growing techniques that you're using at Disney and all of the fabulous Disney dining uh, destinations and the signature dreams and all the wonderful culinary discoveries that, that Disney is offering. Thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat. Well, thank you, Margaret. I've, I've had an absolute ball, and I really appreciate you having the team and I on today. Oh, thank you so much. And listeners, during this very busy holiday season, at least we're not preparing uh, 16-foot-tall uh, uh, gingerbread houses. But in the, those moments of, of the busy times, please remember just to take a moment and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pro Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.